of Hebrews, who says, let us run with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us, that is the race of faith, and fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the pioneer or the author and the perfecter of your faith. And as we continue to look to Jesus, our faith is perfected or completed, if you will. And Each term, we're considering a different aspect of the life of Jesus. So we've just concluded term one, where we considered the miracles of Jesus, obviously culminating with the most wonderful miracle of all, the resurrection at Easter. Uh, This term, today we commence a new series considering the message of Jesus, what Jesus had to say, what Jesus taught while he walked the earth. And then in term three and term four, we're considering firstly the manhood. So that's particularly looking at the humanity of Jesus. And then in term four, the majesty. So in a sense, the divinity of Jesus. To break this down, what we're really considering is what Jesus did, what Jesus said, and who Jesus was. And whilst we're only looking at um, examples, we're not covering all the contents of all the Gospels, we're, we're looking at different samples, if you will, through the Gospels that in a sense build this big picture of the person and work and ministry and life of Christ. But my prayer and heart for all of us is that we would grow closer to Christ and that in doing so we would become more like Christ, which is God's goal for each of us. So the message of Jesus. I am really looking forward to sharing with you this term. Um, And this morning we start with what is somewhat of a summary statement. The first kind of message that Jesus gives in the Gospel of Mark. It's an incredibly short sermon. And I, I myself am amazed at the amount of detail that we can receive from just these couple of verses. Let's read it again. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, these are the first words that we hear Jesus speak in Mark's gospel, and we're only up to verse, we're only up to verse 14, but it's important to help to know that up until this point, we have heard about the preparation of Jesus. So Mark's gospel begins by explaining that the gospel of Jesus, or the message of Jesus is the gospel, the good news. And then he goes straight in to talk about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is kind of the forerunner for Jesus. And he is prophesying, that preparing people for the coming Messiah. We see the ministry of John, uh, and that actually then comes to a conclusion, as we see here in verse 14, with John being put into prison. And in a sense, it makes the way for Jesus' ministry to begin. But Jesus, in this time of preparation, um, is baptised. He is sent into the wilderness, and he returns from the wilderness in the power of God, and, and then he begins his proclamation, if you will. So there was a period of preparation which preceded or precedes his proclamation. So 
The passage that we're looking at today, this sermon, if you will, of Jesus is, it would be fair to say, is probably a really good summary of what Jesus had to say. Um, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now, I'm sure that Jesus had more to say than just that. But what Mark offers us is a summary statement of the very heart, the core of what Jesus was wanting to say. Now, I would take a guess that for most of us, even myself included, the way that I hear this statement, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news, the way that I hear that, the way that we hear that is probably going to be quite different to the way that Jesus' original listeners heard those words. And so what I want to do for us this morning is just kind of open up this statement and really try and get a grasp on the the gravity and the weight and the significance of what Jesus was actually saying and what he was calling people, firstly what he was inviting people into and then what he was calling people to. Now this word, uh, euangelion, euangelion, which is translated as good news um, or gospel, is Good news. <laughs> and probably the, if there's one thing that you need to take away from this whole term, um, there'll be lots of things, but the message of Jesus is good news. You know, we listen to the radio, we read newspapers, we watch TV, and so often it's bad news, isn't it? Uh, it it's, it's peril, it's destruction, it's death, it's darkness. But the wonderful thing about the message of Jesus is that it is genuinely good news. And the more we understand it, the more we come to appreciate just how good it is. This word euangelion, or what we know as gospel or good news, was a thoroughly Roman word. It's not, it's not a biblical word that kind of has its roots or origin in, in Christian things or in the things of God. It was, in a sense, a, t- a secular word that meant good news. And it was primarily used for um, military victories. Uh, so the good news is that a victory has taken place. Or it was also um, used frequently in political terms. So a new leader has ascended to the throne who is a good ruler Um, This is the euangelion. This is the good news. This is meant to be good news for all the listeners. So the gospel or is the euangelion is good news, but also it is an announcement. Um, And it announces an event, like something significant has taken place. And that's what brings about the good news. So when Jesus says... um, the good news, he is referring to an event, an event has occurred and that event um, means that something really good has happened and it's really good news for all people. It's not just good news for some, it's good news for everyone. So the event, the announcement that Jesus is making is there is good news and it is good, it is available for all people. Um, The gospel or the good news is a very rich term and sometimes it can be reduced 
down to a statement that basically is something along the lines of Jesus uh, died for your sins, you can receive forgiveness in Jesus and have confident assurance that when you die, you will go to heaven. Now that is part of the gospel message, but it is certainly not the entirety of the gospel. The gospel is such a, a rich and fascinating thing. And it's helpful for us to just consider what the gospel is and what Jesus' gospel is. And the first thing is that God's promised Messiah has arrived. So for the people who first heard this, there had been a 400-year period of silence between Malachi and Matthew, where there's all of these prophecies in the Old Testament that foretold that a Messiah was coming and that Messiah would deliver God's people. He would rescue God's people. He would establish a new reign and a new rule. And the people of God were clearly anticipating this for hundreds of years. And the good news is, after all that period of waiting, the Messiah is here That long-awaited kingdom that we've been waiting for has come through the person of the Messiah. Another element of the good news or the gospel is that the story of Israel is fulfilled in the story of Jesus. And if you know and understand the story of Israel, which is the Old Testament, which of course the original listeners really understood the Torah, the Old Testament, that was their scriptures, if you will. Um, and what we see through the, the, through the Old Testament is time and time again, the people of God, in a sense, fail to fulfill the task that God has given them. And we see throughout the Old Testament all kinds of shadows or foreshadows of, of who Christ would be. Just some examples. Throughout the Old Testament, there are all kinds of festivals that are celebrated. We've actually participated in one of them today, which is the Passover festival. And the Passover festival is fulfilled in Jesus because Jesus represents the bread and the juice. So the festivals find their fulfillment in Jesus. The temple, the place where people went to worship, the place where, in a sense, God was accessible, Jesus fulfills. He becomes the temple. People no longer have to go to a particular place to worship God by having their faith and trust in Jesus. They can have their sins forgiven. There is no longer a need for a sacrifice like there used to be in the temple. There's no longer a need for a priest, a person to be an intermediate between man and God. Jesus fulfills that. And we think about some of the leaders in the Old Testament that foreshadowed Jesus. I think about Moses rescuing the Israelites from Egypt. I think about Joshua delivering the people of God into the promised land. I think about David, this king who brought um, the kingdoms, the southern and the northern kingdom together, who brought unity and peace to the land. And all of these servant leaders, if if you will, all did great things for God, but ultimately they, they also failed. They, just like you and I, were broken, sinful people. But Jesus is the perfect rescuer. Jesus is the perfect deliverer. And Jesus is the perfect king who reigns and who will reign forevermore. So the gospel is the wonderful story that everything 
that God has been doing is now finding its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. The gospel is also, of course, about the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the exaltation and future coming of Jesus. The gospel is the good news that Jesus saves people from their sins, and this is so important because it means that relationship with God can be restored. Relationship with God that was fractured, that was broken right at the very beginning of God's story that we read in our Bibles in Genesis where that relationship was broken in Genesis chapter 3. The good news is there is now a way for people to be made right with God and enjoy right relationship with Him. The gospel is such a, a rich and wonderful term. And it is good news for all people. The next thing we read is, the time has come, or the time is near. Some translations might say, um, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Now, what, what is being referred to here? You might recall how in the Greek language, it's a very rich language, there are multiple words for the word love. There are four I can think of, like philos and eros, for example, and agape and storge. And these, these words actually talk about different types of love, whether it's an erotic love between a man and a woman or a, a parental love between a parent and a child and so forth. Well, interestingly, the Greek actually has something similar going on with the word time. There are two different words for the word time. The first word is chronos. It's where we get the word chronology from, and chronos is about sequential time. It's basically time on a clock. Um, Luke, uh, in his gospel account, gives us a bit more of a, a chronos time of when Jesus first came. He, he gives us, if you like, a, a historical understanding of when Jesus came in history. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, and so forth. This is a chronos time. It's a description of a particular historical point in time. This is very different to the word that Mark uses. Mark does not use chronos. Mark uses the word kairos. The kairos time, if you will, has come. And kairos is very different to chronos. Chronos is about sequential time. Kairos is about a moment, a defining moment, an opportune time, a, a special moment when something really significant and really special is taking place. Um, an illustration might be a wedding. Here's a, a picture of the wedding I conducted in a wool shed over a week ago for my cousin in Melbourne. And I love that moment when everyone begins to hush because the bride has arrived and I invite people to stand and there's that incredible moment where a bride is walked down the aisle by her father and she comes and meets her husband and her fiancé and this is a kairos moment. This is a, a very, very special moment, a moment like no other, a moment that will radically change the course of that couple's lives forevermore. This is a kairos moment. Another kairos moment is when this happens. And, and all of a sudden, your life is never going to be the same. Now, 
<laughs> a Kairos moment could also be something like a near-death experience. You might have a car accident and something happens and like this is a defining moment. It changes everything. All of a sudden your life flashes before your eyes and you're now going to start to live very differently because of that event. A Kairos moment is a defining moment. It is a moment that gives opportunity for growth and for change. And Jesus is saying, the Kairos moment is now. And do you know what, what, friends? Whenever a person hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, that right there is a Kairos moment. Because when we are presented with the person of Jesus, there is a moment, there is an opportunity for a changed life. As our mission statement says, the life-changing message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is a Kairos message because it can and does change lives. So the time has come. Jesus says. This is a Kairos moment. Then he says the kingdom of God has come near. The Basileia of Theo. This is the Greek. The Basileia is the kingdom and Theo the, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near. What does the kingdom of God mean? When we think about a kingdom, we might think about a geographical place where, of course, there is a king who rules and there's a particular way of, of living within that kingdom. What Jesus is speaking about is far less to do with place or geography and far more to do with a person. And that person, of course, is the king. So for a kingdom to be established, there must be a king. And every king has a different rule. Well, in the kingdom of God, the king is Jesus and the rule of Jesus is a very good rule. Psalm 72, which I'm not going to read because there are 20 verses, but I do encourage you to read Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is actually a um, forward-looking psalm on the type of kingdom the Messiah would lead. And it is breathtaking. And this is, in fact, what the Jews, the Israelites, the people of God would have understood as the kingdom of God and with the kingdom of God now coming at hand. These are the kinds of things that could be expected. In the kingdom of God, the king will rule with justice, equity and righteousness. The relationships in this kingdom will be made right. Um, in this kingdom, the king will provide for and prosper all who live under his rule and reign. This king will defend the afflicted, protect the vulnerable, rescue from violence and defeat the enemy. Uh, in this kingdom, refreshment will be found and all life, all living things will flourish under the rule and reign of this king. And we also see that in this kingdom, in this grand vision of the kingdom of God, all will bow down to him, the whole earth will be filled with his glory, and it will be an enduring and an everlasting reign. There are no election campaigns in the kingdom of God. 
There is no three or four year cycle that's going to change constantly and we're constantly having to think about who am I going to vote for this time and so forth. No, the kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom and the king is an everlasting king. He never changes. It's a wonderful thing. Now, do you know that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God more than any other subject? And I think part of the reason he did that was because he really had to change people's minds on what their understanding of the kingdom was. So all of these things that were foretold of what the kingdom of God would involve and include, um, as we as humans do, we we have a very short-sighted way of understanding and viewing things. And we also bring them into our own context. And so the people of God at the time of Jesus, their expectation was that the Messiah would defeat the enemy, would overthrow the enemy, would crush the enemy, and that was the Roman emperor. We also can see that, the, that those people who had pledged allegiance and were followers of God, according to their way of thinking, was that under this new rule and reign, they would immediately begin to prosper and, and that their needs would be provided for, that they would receive justice and equity. But we understand, don't we, that that's not exactly that that time had not yet fully arrived. And that God was going to usher in and inaugurate his kingdom, not through violence, but through love. It's a very different thing. And so Jesus constantly was teaching about the kingdom of God to help reframe the understanding of what it was for God's kingdom to be inaugurated in his time and his ways. We understand from the Lord's Prayer that the kingdom of God is the place where God's will is done. The kingdom of God is the place where God's will is done. I like this quote from George Eldon Ladd because when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is a now but there is also a not yet. There are aspects to the kingdom of God that we can fully enter into and experience now, but there are also aspects that we have not yet been fully realized. The kingdom of God involves two great moments, fulfillment within history, and Jesus is that fulfillment, and Jesus has come, and he has fulfilled the kingdom of God. But there is the consummation at the end of history, and that is still to come. We live in that kind of in-between state. Now, Jesus says the kingdom of God is near or the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is a little bit like an open gate. The opportunity is there to walk through. It's an open door to anyone who would submit themselves to the rule and reign of Jesus, who is the king of the kingdom of God. But it it can only be accessed through two things, repentance and faith. To receive and enter into the kingdom of God, a person must repent and they must believe. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of God is near or when the kingdom of God is at hand, the Son of God has arrived. So in a sense, the kingdom of God is here in the person of Jesus. But to actually enter into the kingdom of God, you have to walk through that gate. You have to say yes to Jesus. You have to turn and believe in the person of Jesus. Now this word repent, the Greek word is metanoia. 
And meta means change. Change. And noia means mind, the way you think. So the word repent actually means change your mind. Change the way you think. Now when we hear the word repentance, we might... um, very quickly go to a place of feeling guilt and shame and remorse. And absolutely, I don't want to minimise this, when we've been living a certain way that is different to God's way, then of course there is a sense of feeling regretful or remorseful for that way of living. But that's not primarily what Jesus has in mind when he says, repent. He's saying, change your mind, change the way you think. To live in the kingdom of God is going to require a different mindset because the kingdom of God operates entirely different to the kingdom of Caesar or whatever the kingdom is that you're living under, the rule and reign of which you find yourself, the kingdom of God is drastically different. Change your mind. It's an entirely new direction. Many of us would be familiar with the word repent, meaning to turn around. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean just to do a U-turn, because the way that you've been heading is not necessarily the right, the right way. It's going in a different direction. It's leaving behind one set of beliefs and values and practices and actually embracing something entirely different. But first, it begins with the way you think. It's very much about our minds. An illustration that I can think of here, um, just a really simple one, where we, as people, by the way, repent in all kinds of ways, but we may not necessarily use that language. So if you've seen that sugar film, it is a movie that helped Bron and I repent. (laughs) Um, it, 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 It is a fascinating film about sugar, about processed sugar and how prevalent it is in so many of the products that we eat today. And as a result of watching that sugar film, our minds were changed about certain things that we would eat and we stopped eating certain things. Like, for example, I used to have a glass of orange juice every morning and then I'd have a yogurt at morning tea thinking that these were really healthy things, but there's a a truckload of sugar in orange juice and in yogurt and I I no longer have those things. I changed my behaviour because my mind was changed from a message that I received. Can you understand? This is where repentance comes in. When we hear a message that makes sense to us, that convicts us that I need to change my ways, then all of a sudden once our mind has been changed, that changes our behaviour. Too often we try and address behaviour before we address the mind It's so important that a person's mind is changed first and foremost before their behaviour is changed. Repentance means to reorientate your life to the ways of God. You have to become so familiar with the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus spoke so frequently about the kingdom of God is so that people could understand what it is to live under his rule and reign. As followers of Jesus, we ought to be keen students of the kingdom of God so that we can orientate our lives accordingly. Jesus' call to repentance is much less of a reprimand 
than it is an invitation. It's an invitation to change your mind, to actually consider an entirely different way. And again, if you look at Psalm 72, the kingdom of God is such a good kingdom. Jesus is such a good king. It's much less about shame on you for doing X, Y, and Z as it is about this is the most wonderful kingdom and Jesus is the most wonderful ruler. Come and live under his rule and reign. Change the way you think. We even have to repent. We have to change the way we think about God. Some of us may think about God as this ruling tyrant who just wants to cause who just wants to cast judgment on people. And of course, all will stand before God and be judged one day. But the God that Jesus reveals is much more of a loving father to be trusted than a fearful judge to be feared. In Romans chapter 2, we read that our response to God in repentance should come as a result of the kindness of God, not the fear of God, but in fact the kindness of God. Jesus was always revealing the kindness and the goodness of God, and it is love that draws us to God, not fear. In Luke's gospel in chapter 3, we read about the fruit of repentance. So a person who has turned away and who is living according to the kingdom of God will demonstrate these types of fruits. So when a person has indeed repented, the fruit of that repentance is the the behaviour that is coming as a result of the changed way of thinking. We're to share with those in need. We're to be generous and honest and content with what we have. These are just a few illustrations or examples of the fruit of repentance. Repentance starts in the mind and then it works its way through the way that we live. Finally, not only are, so the first action, if you will, is to change your thoughts, is to turn around in a new direction, reorientate yourself towards God. The second thing is to believe the good news. This wonderful news that we've been talking about is good and we're to believe it. And the, the word believe, it, it is probably more helpful to think about trust. Um, If you believe that who Jesus says he is and all that God is going to do through Jesus is true, put your trust in Jesus. Repent, turn around, turn a different direction and then put your trust that Jesus is in fact who he says he is. Trust what he says he will do. Trust what he says to do even when it doesn't make sense, i.e. turn the other cheek, love and pray for your enemies, those who persecute you. To trust in Jesus is to then go ahead and do those things. Repenting and believing are not one-off transactions that we just kind of do once. It's to be an ongoing process, an ongoing lifestyle, if you will, that as followers of Jesus, we need to keep having our minds renewed. And that's why it's so important that we constantly familiarize ourselves, become students of what Jesus taught so that we can understand how to live, how to think, and then therefore how to live and behave in his kingdom. And we're to be people who constantly keep trusting in Jesus. It's a journey. We don't always get it right. 
And that's why we need to just trust the Holy Spirit and remain on that journey of continual repentance, of turning and changing and trusting in Jesus. Men and women of God, friends, the message of Jesus has not changed. It is exactly the same today as what it was when he first came. The time, the Kairos moment is now. Whenever you hear about Jesus and his life-changing message, there is a Kairos opportunity for you and I to align ourselves more fully with God's will and God's ways. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God where Jesus is the king, where Jesus rules with equity and with justice, and where people prosper and endure under his rule, repent, turn, and believe. Put your trust in Jesus. This, men and women, is good news. May we be a people who are responsive to this good news, who live lives of ongoing repentance and faith. Do you need to place your trust in Jesus? Do you need to turn? Do you know what? We all do. There are elements of all of our lives where our our minds need to change about the way we think. And there are elements where all of us need to learn to put our trust in Jesus. And so I invite all of us this morning, no matter where you are, to repent and to believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. Enter in. Put your trust in the person of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word and the invitation that is extended to us through Jesus, your son, to change the way we think and to learn to operate as people living under the rule and reign of Christ, our Messiah. And we thank you for all that Jesus inaugurated in his life, death, and resurrection. And we thank you that our Messiah, Jesus, is going to come and restore all things. And we look forward to that day so much. But Lord, I pray that we would have the humility to be people who live lives of ongoing repentance and ongoing trust in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that your kingdom is at hand. Thank you that your kingdom is near. And thank you that we can enter into your kingdom when we trust in you, Jesus, and follow your will and your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.